0: Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate Top 10 in 20 podcast series. In these 20-minute episodes, we'll discuss one of this year's top 10 issues affecting real estate. Hello, I'm Marilee Utter, 2020 First Vice Chair of the Counselors of Real Estate and President of City Venture Associates in Denver, Colorado. Counselors of Real Estate are trusted advisors solving the world's most complex real estate challenges. We are experienced, innovative, and credentialed problem solvers practicing in 20 countries and offering expertise in more than 50 real estate disciplines across all asset classes. Each of us has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is Deborah Clatier, CRE, President and founder of ReTech Advisors in Falls Church, Virginia, and chair of the Councillors of Real Estate External Affairs Committee that develops the annual top 10 list. Deborah and her team produce award winning environmental, social, and governance programs and market transformation initiatives for leading commercial real estate and government clients. With over $1 trillion of assets under management, ReTech Advisors has helped implement nearly 10,000 sustainability measures across more than 1 billion square feet of properties. Deborah authored this narrative supporting ESG, the number 10 issue on this year's compilation of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. COVID-19, of course, was the number one issue and resonates through each of the other nine issues. Welcome, Deborah. I'm so glad Thanks, to have Marilee. you. Thanks, happy Um, to be here. So, let's jump right into it. I mean, ESG has certainly been a buzzword. It's been a, a leading trend in past years, but it really seems to have resonated this year.
1: What is ESG?
0: And can you kind of explain it for those of us that are new to it?
1: Sure, Marilee. So, I think of ESG as a global institutional investment strategy that is working to respond to the dramatically and rapidly changing world that we live in. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance issues. And what it is is really a set of standards to guide an organization's operations. The E generally focuses on issues like energy, water, waste, uh, biodiversity, greenhouse gas emissions, pollution. The S, or social issues, focus more around workplace practices and human capital. Think of your supplier relationships or your tenant engagement initiatives, even health and wellness in buildings and in the communities in which they operate. And the governance issues traditionally are focused on things such as executive pay, internal controls, shareholder rights the growing uh, area of diversity and inclusion, even fair labor practices, and then reporting and disclosing on an organization's initiatives. So you can see why increasingly socially conscious investors are using ESG as a screen for potential investments. And ESG criteria is helping investors avoid companies that might pose a greater financial risk due to either their environmental, social, or governance practices.
0: Wow. You know, I, uh, I've heard, of, heard it used a lot in terms of environmental concerns, but I didn't really realize it was so broad and, and also involved so much social and governance issues. I guess those are the kinds of things you normally look at when you evaluate a company, but this is kind of the first time it's been... Um, structured and labeled and institutionalized, right? Right. Um, Well, let's, you know, so why now? Why is it, what's caused the rise of ESG? I mean, why is it popular? And gosh, it made our list. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure thing. So I think at the heart of the issue is climate change but it's related to the associated risks of climate change for investors. So if you look at even last year, 2019 was a very notable year for us here in America. We had over 14 weather-related disasters, each of which cost a billion dollars or more of damage and property loss. Australia noted the warmest and driest year on record And the World Economic Forum's long-term risk survey showed environmental and climate change factors representing all five of the top risks for the first time ever. But I think it is more than a growing awareness of the need to mitigate climate risks. Globally, we're facing not only an environmental crisis, a public health crisis, an economic crisis, a social injustice and equity crisis, and I think in many parts of the world, a political crisis with this rise of nationalism and isolation, and that's one of the other issues that we've talked about um, in the councils of real estate. And ESG isn't a solution to all of these global issues, but I do see the capital providers and the investment community focusing on ESG now more than ever in order to require greater transparency and consistency in the way in which risks are assessed, really trying to understand for real estate, what is the materiality of ESG for potential investments? And when you look across real assets and the associated debt markets, there there just has been a growing emphasis on ESG as a framework To assess these risks and to disclose them.
0: Hmm. It's really a more sophisticated look at evaluating real estate. And I guess, you know, in the spirit of never waste a good crisis, we're really having some positive (laughs) change maybe come out of it. So, talking about the change, what about industries and companies that do adopt an ESG focus?
1: How does that change them? What do they do differently? I think that they, what ESG does is it provides this framework to assess and mitigate risks. So that is going to vary by institution, right, from one company to another. But in general, in the real estate industry, it typically takes this form of benchmarking, the E, the S, and the G elements. So for environment, you would benchmark your energy consumption and performance. You would benchmark your costs associated with that. And you would compare the performance of the individual assets of an entire fund or across a portfolio of investments over time and in comparison to their peers. And so this is providing new tools for all industries, not just real estate, to make a plan to identify and assess Where am I today? And how do I improve performance? Which usually involve lowering operating costs, making, you know, doing more around stakeholder engagement and reporting on goals and your progress towards those goals. So I see the most successful organizations integrating a continuous improvement approach, which is really around the plan, check, do, right, repeat. Um, into their culture and into their ethos. So it's not just bolted on activity, but rather fully embedded into the day-to-day management practices. And think about it, in the real estate um, life cycle, you can influence everything from due diligence and underwriting to new construction and development, um, leasing and outreach to your tenants, the operations and the maintenance of their assets, to loan origination and even disposition, and so ESG is 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 changing the way organizations fundamentally operate at each of these points in the real estate life cycle. Huh.
0: So a oh, a lot of it is if you don't measure it, you can't manage it, right? And, exactly. and then it's a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, how pervasive is ESG with investors domestically and globally? Is this just kind of a fringe group or is it becoming more mainstream?
1: It's a great question. You know, I personally have spent my entire career focused on this intersection of commercial real estate and sustainability. And I would say over the past 28 years, I have seen quite a shift and the level of interest, the level of sophistication, the boldness, the dedication to innovation that is being focused on ESG. I think we can squarely say that ESG is no longer a nascent issue, but rather a new norm. And there is a rapid acceptance by business leaders um, of thousands of companies setting these enterprise-wide carbon reduction or renewable energy-related goals, and I think that's a real indicator of the sentiment in the business community. These targets are often driven by investor and consumer pressure and a desire to future-proof the buildings against this transition to what they call a low-carbon economy, and it is a necessity for organizations today to stand out kind of among this increasing array of sustainability commitments. You know, you you just have to look at things like the letter that came from the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, earlier this year, basically saying to all of those that want their money to invest in them, you know, you need to get your ESG house in order or we will divest of your entities. And, you know, look at organizations like Amazon What a bold commitment. This is, I think, one of the largest that I've seen to date, a $2 billion commitment um, to improving renewable energy and clean energy and having uh, strategies to mitigate Amazon's impact on the environment. I just think things like that are, are really indicators that this is not fringe. It's gone mainstream. It's certainly not unique to the U.S. Many abroad in Europe, Australia, Asia, et cetera, are really ahead in many of these areas, but there are tremendous opportunities for companies. And I think that's part of, you know, the rationale behind the focus and why now.
0: Wow. Uh, It's great to see business stepping up in such a strong leadership role. I mean, those are some big names, big companies. And, um, you know, that's exactly what we need to to make this change, I think. So, you know, you talked about climate change. I mean, how do you see the acceptance of that? Um, how is, I mean, where do you see the acceptance of climate change as an actionable crisis?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting that you ask. You know, I don't think that you have to be an asset manager of a multi-billion-dollar real estate fund in order to make a difference right? Buildings represent a significant opportunity to achieve this low-carbon economy because they represent 40% of the total U.S. carbon dioxide emissions, which is a way that we measure um, these things called greenhouse gases. And whether you own a single office building or are a regional portfolio owner, the good news about ESG is that focusing on reducing utility costs has a proven high return on investment and can be used to retain and attract tenants. So even if you don't adopt a full Monty ESG, right, platform or strategy, it still is profitable to reduce operating costs. In over 28 states and local jurisdictions now, there are mandates requiring that building owners benchmark their energy performance and disclose it. And and with that, I think you see more transparency of information flowing into the marketplace so that tenants, right, have some decisions to make about where they want to locate their operations. Another function, I think, of the climate crisis is the accelerating frequency of weather-related events. And globally, this is increasing property insurance rates, right? Rates in the U.S. have been increasing each of the last 10 consecutive quarters. That's following the hurricanes we had, Harvey, Irma, Maria, and here we are in one of the most active hurricane seasons already this year. So a simple thing that a building owner can do is to create emergency preparedness and disaster recovery plans. It's a basic, actionable step that building owners can and operators can take. And we've seen where preparedness can really help minimize Property laws and support speedy and effective responses when you're in the heat of the moment of a natural disaster. So I think those are some of the actionable steps that I'm seeing in the marketplace.
0: Wow, yeah, I'm I, living in Denver. I sure see the impact of market demand. You know, you don't have to agree that it's climate change, but if you want to just sell to the market, there's certain things you have to do. in this, you know, and I think that's happening more and more. Um, and certainly, gosh, the emergency preparedness, um, we see that coming. I mean, that's headlines about every other day, it seems, between fires and, and the storms and everything, the heat. Um, it's really been a rough year. Um, so where, where do you see ESG investors placing their capital? Like, who are going to be the big winners in all of this? What strategy is she following?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're social impact investment funds. So, impact investing has been experiencing this phenomenal growth, driven in large part by the millennials and the Gen Zers, right, who want their investments to do more than just make money. By 2030, millennials will hold five times as much wealth as they do today due to over $68 trillion that will pass down from boomers in the coming decades. And it isn't just young investors that have spiked this impact investing growth. More women in the US are leading the shift to sustainable investing. They control an estimated $42 trillion in personal wealth. And the number of impact investors is rising across all demographic categories. These impact investors, as they're called, also describe themselves as being personal value investors in that they want their investments to align with their personal values. And I think in doing so, their intent is to make their investment portfolio a statement about who they are and what they stand for. So if you look at investments that take into consideration these ESG factors, they stand at over $12 trillion. That's approximately one in four dollars of the $46.6 trillion in total assets under professional management in the U.S. This represents a dramatic increase and I'm not seeing any signs of it blowing. So that's where I think the big winners are gonna be are these funds that have an investment thesis that is aligned with what they call social impact investing.
0: But it's had a, a longer term payoff or a shorter-term payoff? If you're a short-term investor, does this relate to you?
1: I think it can. There is a number, just because you're a social impact investment fund doesn't mean that you have to have a super long-term strategy. I mean, I've seen a number of um, opportunity zones, uh, investment vehicles having an ESG component to it, or affordable housing, right? There's just, it, it's starting to be every flavor of investment that you can contemplate, except they're now having this as a a screening aspect to how they align or how they invest their money. So you could even have an opportunistic, um, you know, value-add fund, but it has a social commitment to the communities in which, you know, where the assets are going to be located, or maybe that they're going to purchase green power. You know, there's a lot of different ways. Um, that, I guess, is the great part about ESG right now is it's sort of the ultimate American story. You can innovate and do it in so many different ways. And there's not, there's some standards that are emerging, but it is still a bit of a wild west proposition on how social impact investing is defined.
0: Huh. I guess that makes sense because what we're really talking about is just, um, that's the fundamentals of a successful company anyway, right? And so mm-hmm. and you, can, you should be following those guidelines anyway, looking at all those factors and, and considering them. Um, so I guess that makes a lot of sense. But we talked about the leadership um, that the private sector has provided and is kind of leading the way here, but government has always had a huge influence on real estate.
1: What role do you see it
0: playing in the evolution of ESG?
1: Hmm. That's an interesting question. From my vantage point, I think the role I see the US government playing is to reinvigorate the discussion on clean energy and environmental justice. We need national policies to reach a hundred percent clean energy and net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Strategies that are going to decarbonize buildings will spur global investment in research and development, renewables, smart building technologies, as well as green collar jobs, and alternative green financing. And I think that they will help to address the societal issues, right, where we really need more public intervention, policy intervention. When you think about vulnerable communities, those of color and low income, they are disproportionately impacted by climate emergency and harmful pollution. We've seen this play itself out in the COVID-19 crisis, right? On the global stage, if you think about the Paris Accord, it is really driving dramatic change around the world, including this outcry for COVID-19 economic stimulus to be focused on green recovery, right? So this is, I'm not, I'm not usually a fan of big government, but outside of regulation and policy, right? We are going to, it's gonna take more than just policy in my opinion, but it has to have that as a strong um, component. If you think about addressing climate risks, it's really not a single country problem, right? We all inhabit the same planet and therefore climate change is a global problem right and climate scientists have shown that we need to stay under a certain concentration level of these things called carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and that if we don't we risk significant damages to both the natural and the human systems right and that we're we're in line right. for a potential runaway train right of these feedback loops of unimaginable harm i think that if you look at the estimates for investment that's going to be required to stay below those thresholds, it's something on the order of $80 trillion. That is about 2% of the global GDP per year between now and 2050. So that's just never going to happen without a combination of government policies and capital markets stepping up to deploy that funding right, of billions of dollars at a time. Mm -hmm. So I I think that the government, the governments globally have a role to play, but we also need to speed up and scale and standardize um, sort of the whole approach to deploying capital and activating the capital markets because if bringing it back to real estate, it's my opinion ESG has been established as this prudent risk mitigation strategy one that will contribute to long-term value creation. But the real estate industry has a role that they need to play in all of this to help mitigate these risks and accrete value. And I think that it's going to take everybody rowing more or less in the same direction to be able to address this, you know, massive, massive multi-complex problem.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, We're out of time, but thank you, Deborah. I'm I'm so appreciative for your knowledge on ESG, an issue that obviously has profound and continuing impact on our industry and, gosh, the world in general. Please join us next time for another discussion of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Marilyn Utter, On behalf of the counselors of real estate, thank you for joining us for this episode of the top 10 in 20.